at the the risk of stating the obvious is that sometimes faith can be very uh, confusing. And I know that I'm not supposed to say that, right? Because I'm a pastor. You're like, no, you're supposed to say like, no, it always makes sense. It always comes together. It always works out in the end. And, and but if I'm going to be honest, like at times, like faith is very confusing. And, and, you know, I wish that wasn't so. You wish that wasn't so, but it is. And the hard part is that there's times when, when, when belief and trust in God is so clear, so clear. I mean, there's times in my life where I, like the, the, the path forward that God wants me to take and what he's doing is so clear that I can stop short of predicting the second coming of Jesus. Like, well, I can't, I'm not, it's not that clear, but it's really clear. It's really clear. And there's other times when, when you can't even find your way through the end of the day. And really what we want is we always want the clarity, but we don't always get it. And so what do we do? You know, I think that there's times because of faith, you feel like you, feel like you are crushing it. You know, you're doing what God's asked you to do. You feel like you're being obedient to him. And you're just like, it feels like you have the cheat code with life and you are just crushing it. And there's other times when you, you, you feel like you're being crushed by it, right? You think, I'm doing what God's asked me to do. I've, I've been trying to be faithful. And it seems like the more and more I do that, the worse and worse things get. So what do you do? You know, I think that there are these places where, where we think about faith. Is that sometimes, sometimes faith is this place where you think to yourself, like, God, I can't believe what you're doing. And you would cry tears of joy. But there's other times when you cry tears of sorrow and your prayer is, God, I can't believe what it is that you're doing. And this is the journey of faith. And so what do we do? This morning, what I want to do is I want to look at a story between John the Baptist is part of is in the story, but really John the Baptist is going to send his disciples because John the Baptist had disciples and Jesus had disciples, and John's going to send his disciples to talk to Jesus. And the reason why he's doing that is because he's in jail, so he himself cannot go. And if you're unfamiliar with who John the Baptist was, was the idea that we made who Jesus was? Jesus was the Messiah, the one to come, the 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 awaited the awaited King, the one that the Old Testament prophesied about. He's finally here, and everybody knew, as we talked about last week, is that when Jesus shows up, with him comes the kingdom. This is good news, the kingdom of heaven. Like God is restored, His rule is restored, and so that was what Jesus, with the Messiah, came the kingdom of heaven. And before Jesus showed up. There was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was really paving the way for Jesus. This is, what it's, this is what it tells us. He was the prophet in the land. 400 years God had been silent. No prophet in the land. All of a sudden John the Baptist is speaking. He's a, he's a prophet. He's speaking on behalf of God again. And so people were coming out to John. John was baptizing them. But really all John was doing was, was preparing the way for Jesus. And then Jesus showed up on the scene. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the wilderness. And, and actually what happens is then Jesus' ministry begins to grow. 
In fact, actually at one point, John's disciples noticed this and they go, hey, Jesus' ministry is getting bigger. And by his ministry getting bigger, like our ministry is getting smaller. And John's response is that he must increase and I must decrease. And then he gets arrested. He's in jail. And then he sends his disciples to go talk with Jesus. So that's where we're going to jump in. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And this is where we're going to be in the verses following. This is how verse 2 reads. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John sends his disciples, can you go ask Jesus if he's the one or should we look for another? And so what we see here in, the, in this first part, you know what you think about this is like, we're going to say three acts really. Is this act one. And what happens is that John's not certain about the ministry and identity of Jesus. Now, this is not an odd question, generally, right? I mean, you think about this, is that everybody has to wrestle with this idea about who is Jesus, the identity of Jesus. So it's not an odd question that somebody would be wrestling with the identity of Jesus. Who is he? In fact, it's not odd that you'd be wrestling with it. In fact, everybody at some point must wrestle with the identity with Jesus. Who is he? Is he who he says he was? Who is he? In fact, when, when the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples, when he writes his gospel, at the very end of the gospel, what he says is, I wrote all of this. I included all of these stories so that you would know that Jesus was the Messiah. In other words, so that you could identify Jesus as the Messiah and in him have life. So it's not an odd question, generally speaking. Everybody must wrestle with this, this identity of question of Jesus. Who is he? But it is a very odd question specifically, is it not? Why? Because John the Baptist had been so certain. You know, John and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus, they were were cousins. And when, when Mary shows up with Jesus in the womb... And then Elizabeth is there with John in the womb. The text tells us, the scripture tells us that John in the presence, hears of Mary and that he's here, is that, is that the baby in the womb, that John is a baby in the womb, leaps for joy at the presence of Jesus. Womb, womb. And then it tells us that when, when, when John comes, he starts baptizing people in the wilderness. And then Jesus shows up and everyone, people wanted him to be the Messiah. They said, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come? He goes, no, 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 it's not me. There's, there's one greater coming. And then when he sees Jesus, he says, this is the one. This is the one I was telling you about. Like, I, I'm not worthy to, to, to even like unstrap his sandals. This is the Lamb of God who will, who will take on the sins of the world. 
And so in the womb, he celebrates and identifies, celebrates the identity of Jesus. So in the womb, he celebrates the identity of Jesus. In the wilderness, he celebrates the identity of Jesus. And now in prison, he's got questions. This is why it's a problem. Why? Because we all want a faith journey that goes up and to the right, don't we? I want to be more convinced today than I was yesterday. I don't want to walk into a a faith journey in which I, I believe less today than I did yesterday. And so this, this is not the story that we expect. What we want is we want to have more confidence tomorrow than we did today. And truth be told, if we were going to write this story, what we would want is that, is that, is that John in the womb is skeptical, right? Then John in the wilderness is increasingly convinced. And then John in prison is confidently convicted. I picture like in the womb, Mary and Jesus shows up and Elizabeth goes, oh, I just felt my baby shrug. I don't know. It would be him. And then Jesus shows up in the wilderness and then John the Baptist sees Jesus and goes, it could be, it could be. I mean, he's better than anybody else we've seen out here. He's one of the best we've seen. He's our best option. And then he goes to prison. And then in prison he goes, yeah, now I believe. That's the story we want. And if I'm being honest, that's the story John wants too. You think John is is content sitting in a prison cell contemplating the identity of Jesus? No, we know that he's not. How do we know he's not? He sent his disciples that bothered him so much. And so John is not, he's not excited about this story either. He doesn't want to be in a jail cell doubting the reality of God. And this becomes the tension of faith. Have you ever doubted God? Maybe you've been a Christian for years. Have you ever doubted God as being a Christian after? You've been a Christian for 30 years. Have you ever doubted God after being a Christian for 30 years? And let me be clear on this. I don't mean that you doubted that he would come through. I don't mean that you doubted that he would answer the prayer. I don't mean that you doubted that, that he even heard your prayer. I'm talking about have you ever doubted the existence of God while being a Christian? I'm not talking about publicly. I'm talking about maybe in the quietness of your room and the stillness of your bed, behind the darkness of your eyes closed. And if you've been a Christian for a while, have you ever doubted God? I know not you, right? I mean, I'm asking for a friend even, you know. And so have you ever doubted God? That that thought will scare you. And the reason why that thought will scare you, and hear me on this, the longer you've been a Christian, the more confidently you've been a Christian, the more that thought will terrify you. And the reason why it terrifies you is because you were so sure. 
so confident. You were telling other people about Jesus. Celebrating with them when they came to faith. You went to church with them, celebrated all of this. You were so sure. And now to doubt scares you. Why? Why? Because it has you question everything about your life. And the more you have sunk into this decision, the more you have sacrificed for, for your faith, the more this will terrify you. This is John and what he's thinking in prison. And so you think to yourself, why the doubt? Why is John doubting now? And someone will say, well, it's because he's in prison. I, I don't think that's what it is. See, if you're following, you can go back, and I'd encourage you to read Matthew 1 through 11 later on today. But if you actually read in, in, in Matthew, if you're following the story of Matthew, you'd realize that John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when Jesus, when it says that Jesus started his ministry, do you know what his message was? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It actually tells us that both of their messages were the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when John the Baptist was out in the wilderness baptizing people, and you can read this in Matthew chapter 3, when he was out in the wilderness baptizing people, he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. People would show up, the Pharisees and the scribes showed up, and then he says, who, who warned you? He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming judgment? And then he says, he says, you find pride because you think that you're sons of Abraham's. I'll tell you right now, God can make sons of Abraham out of these rocks. Oh, I tell you right now is that the axe, the axe is getting ready to strike the tree and it's going to cut down all the unfruitful trees and throw them in the fire. Oh, for there is one coming. He's greater than I. He's mightier than I. And the winnowing fork, he's on his way. And the winnowing fork, which is like a pitchfork, the winnowing fork is in his hand. He has cleared out the threshing room floor. He has gathered the wheat into the barn and he has gathered the chaff ready to be burned. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we see this in John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mourn your sins. Weep. For why? For judgment's on its way. And then Jesus shows up. Same message, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But a totally different ministry. He's not gathering the chaff. He's eating the chaff, eating with the chaff, right? He's, he's gathering them together not to, not to burn them, but to, to eat with them. And this is not the ministry that, that John the Baptist had talked about. This is not the ministry that John, John was saying judgment is coming. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't we gather together, have a meal? And Jesus' message even like the, what is this ministry? Go tell John what you see. Here's the ministry. The blind are seeing the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the dead are rising, and you get a car, and you get a car, and they're going to get a car, and John, you're going to get prison. And so John has these questions. John says, grieve, judgment is coming. John says, grieve, the judgment is coming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus says, 
Rejoice, for redemption is here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same message, but two totally different ministries. And so really what Jesus does, he says, go, go, tell, go tell John what you see. So Jesus' disciples, sorry, John's disciples come out and say, uh, are you the one or should we keep on looking? And then Jesus says, go tell him what you see. By the way, if you, if you read Jesus at all, you, you realize that often he answers a question with what? A, a question, right? You got a question for me? I got a question for you. But he doesn't do that here, interestingly enough. And it's not because he was short on questions that he could have asked. I said, you know, John's disciples come out. John wants to know, are you the one or should we keep on looking? Jesus says, well, you, you go back and you ask John, do you want to keep on looking? Are you the one or should we keep on looking? You go and tell John, ask John, are you the voice in the wilderness or should I keep on looking? You see, there are plenty of questions that Jesus could have asked, but he doesn't, he doesn't do any of those. What does he say? He says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor are having the good news preached to them. By the way, Jesus is not giving John a ministry report. Oh, hey, go tell John. Because truth is, he was aware of what was already happening. He was aware of this. He knew this. It wasn't like John was sitting in prison waiting for word back and the disciples, the disciples came back and says, hey, John, the, the, uh, the, the, the blind are seeing. Like, oh, okay, good, good, okay. Because if the blind weren't seeing, I was going to have a major problem with it, this whole thing. But if the blind are seeing, then I'm good. Actually, we know that, that John already knew this stuff was happening. What you may or may not know is actually Jesus, what he was doing here was he was quoting prophecy about the Messiah. You see, it wasn't about Jesus informing John about the ministry of the Messiah. It was about John reminding, sorry, about Jesus reminding John of the ministry of the Messiah. This is in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5. And this is what Jesus is quoting here. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of, a, of the mute sing for joy. And it's also then Isaiah 61.1, which actually I preached on a couple of weeks ago. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And so what, what I think Jesus is telling John, and you go tell John, the ministry of the Messiah is being carried out. And John, your message was right. Because you see, it wasn't just, John wasn't just doubting the Messiah. John was doubting himself. His own identity. His own message. So not only was John doubting the Messiah, but he was doubting himself. And so Jesus says, I want you to go back and tell John. Tell John what you see. And what he's saying is, go tell John and remind John that your message was right. Judgment is here. With the Messiah comes judgment. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But also go remind John that 
His ministry was not the only ministry of the Messiah. There's this other ministry of the Messiah and it's being fulfilled here. And then Jesus says this this weird thing. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now that seems weird, right? I mean, because what he just got done says, hey, the, the blind are seeing and, and, and the deaf are hearing. And then, oh, by the way, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, Jesus quoted 61, Isaiah 61, verse 1. But he left out the back half of the verse. The back half of the verse in 61.1 says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. <laughs> Blessed is he who is not offended by me. I picture John's disciples going back to him and saying, so what did he say? Well, John, first of all, he quoted Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, blindly like, oh, great, perfect. And then what did he do after that? He, then he quoted Isaiah 61, that the, the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And I, feel, I picture John and John goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. And those who are prison will be unbound. And the, John's disciples go, no, nah, he, didn't, he didn't mention that part. I'll tell you what he did say. Is blessed are those who are not offended by him. You see, you want something to really mess with your faith? You watch other people experience the direct and immediate benefits of the kingdom, and you don't. And this is what Jesus is saying, John, John. There's other people right now that are going to experience direct and immediate benefits of the kingdom, and you will not. And so John, he's questioning the identity and the ministry of Jesus. But then look in the next act, the next part, look how Jesus responds to this. Verse 7 As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are wearing soft clothing are, king, are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold I send my messenger before your face. Who I will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you. Among those born of women. There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Who, is, who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And so, interestingly enough, John actually is questioning the identity and ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he affirms the ministry and identity of John. Because you see, they're not the only, so it's not John, John, this is all happening publicly, by the way. John's disciples aren't the only ones that have this question. I mean, they're thinking, I don't know. John was like saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Judgment's on its way. You say the same message, but things are much different. I like you better. I like this message better. It's the same message. But who was right? And really, Jesus goes on to say, John was right. What did you go out there to see? Which actually tells us something. That at least some people in the crowd had gone out to John to see him, to either be baptized by him or see his ministry. Because it's not like, who did people go out to see? What did people say about the person out there? It's like, what did you go out to see? Why did you go out to the wilderness? To see a reed shaken by the wind? You see, God had not sent a prophet in the land for 400 years. God was finally talking again. And somebody out in the wilderness was talking again. What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by a wind? Now this could be metaphorical, right? Oh, somebody just tossed to and fro. It could be literal. Did you go out there for the scenery? What 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 did you go out there for? To see reeds blowing in the wind? What did you go out there for? To see somebody dressed in nice clothes? John was dressed in camel's hair. Like, why would you go out to the wilderness to see somebody dressed in nice clothes? You went to the wrong place. What did you go out there to see? A prophet? The voice of God? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. And then he quotes prophecy. You went out to see a prophet and John did not disappoint. And I'm going to tell you right now, not only did you see a prophet, but it's greater than that. He says he was Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. You saw the great prophet. And not only did you see the great prophet, but you saw prophecy being fulfilled. And so John questions the identity and ministry of Jesus publicly. And then Jesus publicly affirms the ministry and identity of John. It's these places in the Bible where I I, I realize how woefully far away from Jesus that I am. Has everyone ever like questioned you publicly? They've challenged you publicly? Your ability to lead? Your character? And they did it in front of other people? Who do you think you are? I'll tell you this. There's a lot of things that will stir in you in that moment. People have challenged, questioned me. I'll tell you what rises up in me. I'll tell you, it's not this. I don't think to myself, how can I affirm them in this moment? What do you think? How do I discredit them? How do I cut them off at the knees? But not Jesus. Jesus says he's, he's great. I'm going to affirm his ministry and identity. And not only that, 
But then he says this weird statement, like basically, but, but so no one ever has been born better. But I'll tell you right now, in the kingdom, the least person in the kingdom is greater than him. And people have used this verse to say all sorts of crazy whack things, right? Like, oh, I'm going to get a bigger house than John the Baptist. Not what he says. Maybe John's still in the wilderness in the kingdom. Like he just never left the wilderness. He's out there and I got my, that's that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that John was was at the time, he, he was the herald of the new kingdom. A prophet in the wilderness. But do you know what's better than being a herald of the kingdom? Is being a citizen of the kingdom. See, so far, so often we think it's what we do that gives us value. I speak on behalf of the kingdom. And he said, no, 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 no. To be in the kingdom, to be a street sweeper in the kingdom is better than to be a prophet in the wilderness speaking about the kingdom. And so violence has come up against the kingdom of God. And that's why John's in jail. His message was right. His identity was right. And the reason why he's in jail is because from the time of him to the time of Jesus, which actually wasn't very long, he said the violence has been taking hold of the kingdom. And so John's message is this message of sorrow for the kingdom is coming. And Jesus' message is Rejoice, for the kingdom is coming. And then 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I love what Jesus says here. I know who I am. I know who John the Baptist is. But who are you? To who will I compare this generation to? Like children in the marketplace. By the way, this is a dig, in case you missed it. You're like kids. When everybody else is, all the adults are working. You don't think this is a dig tomorrow morning at a meeting, a discussion? Just interrupt somebody, and I don't really care who it is. Just interrupt some, somebody and just say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but the adults are talking right now. We're working. We're doing it. And I'll tell you, this person, you call them a child. You're a child in the marketplace. We're working. You're not. He says, what am I going to compare you to? You're like a children in the marketplace calling out. You're not doing anything. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We played the dirge for you. And you did not mourn. The flute would have been played at, at 
at weddings, the Jewish, at, at funerals. He's saying, we, we played the wedding song for you, you did not dance. We played the funeral song for you, and you did not mourn. John came with his message and ministry, and you did not mourn. And now I'm here with the, with the message and ministry, and you will not rejoice. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom comes with tears of sorrow. And the kingdom comes with tears of joy. And you aren't crying either one of them. You see, this is what John missed. This is what the people missed. And this is what Jesus makes incredibly clear. That the kingdom of God comes with both tears of sorrow and tears of joy. If I'm being honest, often at the same time. And I, I forget this. You forget this. Which is why often I think we're so confused. I think the optimist in me is always caught off guard by the tears of sorrow. What? <laughs> I thought, no, like, why would this be true? The optimist in me is always caught off guard by the tears of sorrow. And the pessimist in me doesn't ever think that the tears of joy will come. So then we're stuck in between. But I don't know why this surprises me. That the kingdom of God comes with both sorrow and with both sorrow and joy. I don't know why this surprises me, but it does. And it surprises you. And I, I don't know why it confuses me, but it confuses you too. This is, what, this is the confusing part of faith. But it shouldn't. Right? I mean, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is the cross the source of tears of sorrow or tears of joy? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Many people have come to the cross with tears of sorrow. Many people have come to the cross with tears of joy. Which one is the source of? We would have to say yes. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven comes with tears of sorrow and it comes with tears of joy. Should not surprise us that the life and ministry that led Jesus to Calvary and to the cross, tears of sorrow and tears of joy, is reflected in the life and ministries that come out of Calvary, tears of sorrow and tears of joy. You see, here, the great danger is not about crying the tears of sorrow or the tears of joy. The great danger is doing nothing. Let me put this differently for you. Is that the kingdom of God is here and you are apathetic. That's the danger. And by the way, that's, that's the danger not only for Christians, but for non-Christians as well. Where you're actually met, like the kingdom of God is here and repent, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not really moved by that. 
I'm not going to weep. I'm not going to grieve my sin, nor am I going to find joy in the forgiveness. I'm not going to do either one. To what will I call this generation? There's a great danger with Christians when we become apathetic and unresponsive to our own sin. You see, the great danger for me and the great danger for you with faith is not when we're questioning God. The great danger for you and the great danger for me is when we become indifferent to our sin and to the kingdom of God. I don't weep anymore. I don't really find joy anymore. Jesus says that's the problem. It's actually interesting if you were, we don't have the time, but if we were to go on, he actually then deals with the unrepentant cities in the next part, which is, woe to you, woe to you, for you won't repent. But do you know what he says after he goes to that section? A very famous section. He says, come to me. Come to me. All you are heavy laden and burdened, you come to me. And I go, that's the beautiful picture of the kingdom. That it comes with tears of joy and it comes with tears of sorrow. But the tears of joy and the tears of sorrow are met with, oh, woe to you, but yet come to me. Woe to your sin, but come to me for redemption. And the great indifference is that we would never, we would, we would, we would neither woe to or come to. And so my prayer and conviction for myself and for you is that we would, we would receive the kingdom with the tears of joy and the tears of sorrow that it brings. And that we would respond to the kingdom and we would hear the call of Jesus of the woe to you, but yet come to me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the story of John the Baptist. We thank you that your word does not shy away from the places of of doubt, of wrestling with faith. God, I pray this morning that as we as we as we walk through this, and even as we talk about that that, that your kingdom comes with both tears of sorrow and tears of joy, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now that are just experiencing the tears of sorrow. I pray that you would remind them this morning that the the kingdom comes with tears of joy too. The tears of joy will come. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who are just praying the tears of joy. I pray that you would remind them that there, there is a day there will come tears of sorrow and that's okay. For they both come. Oh, may we mourn when you play the dirge or may we, we celebrate when you play the flute. May we not be the unresponsive children in the marketplace. May we hear the woe to and the come to. May we respond appropriately to your call and to your kingdom, Jesus. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.